Well, hey, welcome to week four in our series, Creatures of Habit. I don't know about you, but this series has been so good for me. Uh, In fact, this is the final week of this series. I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet gotten a copy of the book, text the word HABIT to us, and we'll be sure to get you one. Or if you're here in the building, you can go out to our lobby. And let me just say this briefly. I have been praying for you guys this entire month during this series. Uh, God has been doing a deep work in my heart through this study, and I know he's been doing the same for many of you. And on this final week of the series, I've really prayed over a number of topics of different habits, good ones we could cultivate or bad ones we need to get rid of. And I really believe that this weekend is the most important habit that we're going to discuss in this series. Uh, It's the most important one, and I'll just let you know up front, it's probably the one that you're going to have the most resistance to. I know that I have, and I just got to tell you guys, preparing this message for me, it has just been a battle, uh, because this particular habit, it's so deeply rooted in my own heart, and I think in all of our lives, if we're honest. And so, Would you just join me right now in a really brief prayer? I just want to kind of take you by the hand, and would you just join me and say, God, I want to hear from you, and I invite you to speak to me, and whatever you show me today, I'll obey you. Would you just agree to that in your heart? And I'm just going to pray you through that right now, if you just join me in saying, Father, we need you in our lives. You are the creator, and we submit to you. You see every area of our lives, and God We want to align ourselves with you. We just acknowledge that you know more about us than we do, and you know more about the world than we do, and so we come to you with a learning posture right now. Father, every single one of us, you know everything going on in our lives, and we just tell you right now, Lord, would you speak to us? We want to hear from you, and we commit to obey you today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, I got to tell you a story about my son Jack's soccer team. Here's a picture. They're an under-12 soccer team. And actually, in the recreational league here in Hendricks County, they went the entire season undefeated. They never had a loss, so they were all pretty thrilled about that. However, there was one defeat. It was the parent-child scrimmage. Now, if you've got a kid in Hendricks County soccer, if you ever do, you should know that many of the teams at the end of the season do a scrimmage where the parents play against the kids. And I was really wondering as this season progressed if us parents would have a chance because this particular season, it was such a joy because this is a great group of kids. It's two amazing connection point dads who coach them. And I got to know each of these kids while I cheered them on all year long and they grew so much. I mean, their kicks are so much further. They're so much faster. They're really working together as a team. And as we saw them cream all the competition, no offense any other families in the league at this age range, I was really wondering, hey, when it comes to the parent-child scrimmage, where all the moms and dads get on the field and play against the kids, might this be the year that the kids defeat us? Because I know that eventually that year is coming. Well, we showed up for the scrimmage, and I've got to tell you uh, that the team, they had gotten so good, they were a little bit cocky. 
they were a little bit sure that they would defeat the parents. And I was there with the other moms and dads. We're all kind of like stretching out and just kind of getting ready. And we really started the scrimmage not knowing, might the kids defeat us this year? Well, it started and it was pretty even. But then before long, uh, some of the parents had real big kicks and the kids got a little intimidated and the parents just started to run away with it. Uh, in fact, at one point we got up by so much that uh, a few of the other moms and dads and me, we switched teams and we started to play on the kids side because we're really we were out there to just have fun but I remember the look on the kids faces when it was this moment that these adults who had been cheering for them and helping them all year all of a sudden were beating them and they just had this look on their faces like Oh my goodness, I can't believe that the same people who cheer for us and take such good care of us are now defeating us. Now, here's the situation I want you to think about. You realize that in your life, it is like you're playing a game. And here's the question. Are you playing with God on your team or are you playing in a way that God is against you? Because the reality is, at age 11, no matter how hard those kids try, they couldn't yet beat us. And if you're playing against God in your life, you're not going to win at life. I wonder if I could tell you today just one habit, just one word that the Word of God says, when this thing is in your life, God opposes you. And on the flip side, the opposite of that word, when you have the opposite good habit, God plays with you and you're playing on his team. Would you want to know what that one word is? Would you want to know what that one thing is? You know, I think so many people live their entire lives and according to what the word of God says, they're actually fighting against God. Maybe they don't even realize it. If I could tell you that one thing, and then if I could tell you how to change so that God's not opposed to you, but he's on your team, would you want to know what it is and how to make that change? Well, here is the answer according to the word of God. God says this today, God opposes the proud. Now, we'll unpack this a little more by proud that this verse here, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want you to have healthy self-confidence. You can take pride in how you cut your lawn or that you're good at your job or that you have skills in life. God's not saying he wants you to have a terribly low view of yourself. This is the idea of, God, I don't need your help in my life. God, I can do it on my own. God, I can figure it out without you. And of all the different habits in Scripture... And of all the different sins in Scripture, this is the only one where it says directly that when you allow this to just grow and grow in your heart and in your life, you will actually be playing against God. And no matter how hard you run, no matter how hard you kick, no matter how hard you try, you're going to lose at life if you're an opponent of God's. You know, this is such a significant Scripture. That two of Jesus' inner three disciples, you might remember out of the 12 disciples, Jesus had an inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Well, two of the three, both James and Peter, wrote this exact verse, which is a quote from the Old Testament. Now, I like to say, if God thought a verse was important enough to put it in the Bible three times, we should probably take notice. In fact, I'd encourage you this, with this today. If you don't ever memorize any other verse, 
This is a great one to memorize. It's just four words. God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud. I remember a time in my life where I was calling up some friends asking for wisdom and advice. I had a lot of decisions to make and I was just kind of burdened and tired. And one of them said to me, he said, John, pray and ask God to give you insight. And he talked about golfing. How with a golf swing, if you get the swing just right, that matters a lot more than how hard you swing. He said, John, that's what insight is. Insight is when you get it just right and you don't have to strive and strain at life. You need to ask God for insight. Well, may I just suggest to you, this is such an insight. If you will really get this, just these four words could change your life. That's part of why I pulled it out of the larger context of the verse. Just these four words, this is everything. I mean, your career, your relationships, your inner satisfaction and peace, everything you want in life, God is either opposed to you or for you based on this habit. Do you have the habit of pride, sinful pride, or do you have the opposite? I wonder right now if you just thought of that as a continuum, pride versus its opposite, which is humility. Which would you say more describes your relationship with God? Which would you say more describes your interactions with the people closest to you? Are you motivated by, are you defined by being a proud person who really no one can teach you anything or a person of humility? You know, God's not against a healthy self-confidence. In fact, because language changes over the years, this word pride which is in the book of the Proverbs. This goes back three or 4,000 years, this Hebrew word pride. Our English word pride today is used a lot different than it was even in America 100 years ago. So let's look here at what does the sin of pride or the bad habit of pride look like? Well, it looks like arrogance. And it looks like self-obsession. In fact, arrogance, self-obsession, and pride, they kind of overlap. They all overlap from this center of thinking about myself as really being the center of the universe. It's a godless way of thinking. Arrogance says, I don't need anyone's help because I can figure it out. Self-obsession isn't necessarily arrogant. Self-obsession might be, woe is me. My feelings are so bad. I'm so low. But you're still self-obsessed in a non-arrogant way. And then pride is this posture or attitude where I don't need God's help in my life. Pastor and author John Ortberg, he tells the story of a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, very successful man, who pulled into a gas station with his wife. This was back in the day when gas stations had the service attendants who would, you know, clean the windows and things. Well, he goes inside to pay and when he comes back outside, he notices that his wife is engaged in deep conversation with the attendant there who's cleaning their windows. Well, it turns out the wife used to date that man back in high school. So the CEO gets in the car, and as the two of them drive away down the road, the CEO's feeling pretty good about himself. He finally says to his wife, I bet I know what you're thinking. You're glad you married me, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, instead of a gas station attendant. His wife said, no, 
Actually, I was thinking, if I had married him, he'd be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, and you would be the gas station attendant. It's a funny story, because the reality is this destructive sin of pride, it shows up in a thousand different ways in each of our lives. Sometimes we kind of stereotype that it's the loud extrovert or the, you know, this or that kind of person that has pride. But the reality is introvert, extrovert, person with a public job, person with a private job, we all struggle with pride and it surfaces in very different ways in our lives. And it's such a dangerous habit because it really can become the seed of all sorts of other sins and bad habits in our lives. In fact, God's so serious about this that he tells us in the book of Proverbs that pride goes before a fall. Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've seen someone kind of step out and, you know, think they're so good at ice skating and they fall down and everyone says, oh, pride goes before a fall. That's what this goes back to. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit, in other words, in my spirit, I just feel like I don't need anyone's help, I don't need God's help, that goes before a fall. You know, it's so slippery about this habit. What's so slippery about it is that we almost never see it in ourselves. As I prayed for you all this week and as I prepared and I just asked God, would you show me this in my life? Man, he started to show me pride all over the place. In fact, I got a little bit tired of it. And here's what I realized. Pride is rarely self-detected. We rarely notice it on our own because we rarely pray that prayer of God, would you show me the areas of pride in my life? It's a dangerous prayer, but it's worth it, guys. It's worth it. Pride is rarely self-detected, but it is always self-defeating. Pride is like a cancer on your relationships. Pride is almost like a boa constrictor snake. It It will strangle the relationships in your workplace, in your home. It will strangle your dreams. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you had a booger on your face or you had your zipper down and finally someone tells you and you think, man, I wish I had known earlier. You know, pride's a lot like that. Everyone around us sees it before we do. However, the consequences are a lot more sinister than just a little bit of embarrassment. So many people who at the very end of their lives on their deathbed say, I wish I had forgiven someone Why hadn't they forgiven them? Because of pride. So many people who at the end of their life say, I wish I hadn't worked so hard for material success. I wish I had invested in the people around me. Why did they have their priorities wrong? Because of pride. Pride will lead you to a lifetime of regrets, but God can free you from that. And we're going to learn today from the word of God how to be set free from that. You know, as we continue into this, I just want to ask you right now, would you think of just one strained relationship in your life? I want you to be specific. Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Is it your parent or your child? Is it a coworker or a neighbor? Maybe it's your strained relationship with God. But would you just identify the name or the face of one individual strained relationship? And as you identify that, would you just say right now, God, Show me where there's been pride in my side of that relationship. And God, would you teach me the opposite of pride in that relationship? If you will invite God to do that, I'm telling you guys, uh, so many marriages that fall apart because of pride. 
So many uh, workplace relationships that fail because of pride. We even see it uh, in the church. You might think the church is immune to this, but the church is normal people, broken people. I've seen pride destroy all kinds of relationships in all kinds of settings. I think we all know someone who is incredibly trapped in life because they keep making really bad decisions. And their decisions keep getting worse and worse and worse. And it's almost like, man, this person has nothing to lose. Why won't they take advice from anyone? And you'll see well-intentioned people give them advice, but they, they might say, oh, thanks for your advice, but they just never take advice from anyone. Do you know someone like that? And they just get more and more trapped. Why is it that they're doing that? Well, they've got pride in their heart. That's why they're not going to take the advice of anyone else. I've known a lot of people like that. And on the flip side, I've known people who are uh, the most successful, the most free people. And you know what they tend to have in common when they're not just, you know, materially successful or successful in their career, but their relationships are also successful. They almost always have a habit of being a learner. They're eager to learn. They'll learn from anyone. Because they know they don't have it all figured out. In fact, that's why they're so successful, because they've got a habit and a pattern of learning from others, whereas some of the most trapped people have a habit and a pattern of not learning from others. You know, of all sins, I think pride can be the most difficult to identify in ourselves, but also the most important to deal with. Undetected pride leads to so many consequences. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when I lived in Arizona. And when I would go hiking, we were always aware in Arizona of the diamondback rattlesnake. The diamondback is native to Arizona. And when you go out hiking, you just have to be aware that this highly venomous, deadly snake, it could cross paths with you at any time. So if you go out and you're just unaware, you're more likely to step on one. But if you're aware and you're looking, and if you're aware, here's a basic thing you know. You've always got a cell phone with you, and you're always within range where even if you're out on a hike or something, you know that you could get back to your vehicle or at least get in cell range so that if you get bitten, you can call for a paramedic. What will the paramedics do? The paramedics will bring an anti-venom. An anti-venom is actually formulated from the venom of poisonous snakes so that it can go into your body and, and just like a vaccine would, it heals your body so that the venom doesn't cause your blood to clot and you don't die. If you're aware and you're hiking in Arizona, you assume that you could see a snake. In the same way, it's safest to assume I have the sin of pride even if you don't feel like it. So whereas with some of the other habits in this series, I've said, hey, I really want you to examine, might you have this? I can pretty much guarantee you on this one, you do have it, okay? We all have the habit of pride to some extent. It shows up differently in all of our lives, but assume that you have this habit and ask God to help you heal from it. Well, what would be the anti-venom or the antidote to pride. God tells us in the second half of the verse that we've already looked at. God opposes the proud. What an insight for your life. Now here's the good news. God gives grace to who? 
to the humble. You see, humble in God's sight is a choice. It's not just, oh, that person's been so beaten up by life, they're really humbled. No, this is saying, I willfully choose to be humble toward God. I want to learn from you, God. God, in my marriage, I'm not just going to do everything that feels right to me and say whatever comes across my mind to my spouse. God, would you show me how to be the husband or the wife I'm supposed to be? God, in my career, am I doing what you want me to do in my life? And am I the kind of employee or student you want me to be? That's what humility looks like. So how do you rid your life of harmful pride? Very simple answer from the word of God. Chosen humility. That word chosen is so important. (laughs) There's some people who should be choosing humility because their pride has gotten them beaten up over and over by life, but they still refuse to choose it. You can choose humility, whether at your highest mountaintop peak or the lowest valley. Either, Either scenario, you can choose humility. Choosing humility before God, that is the anti-venom or the antidote to this self-destructive habit of pride. Humility is the anti-venom, and so keep it on you at all times. Humility in your relationships with the people around you, as well as humility in your relationship with God. Now, as I prayed over this, I realized, man, we could do a six-part series on pride, Because there's our relationship with God and then our relationship to the people around us. But I want to start with your relationship to God. Because if you can get humility in your relationship with God, then it can start to spill over to the people around you. Now James, one of those three disciples in Jesus' inner circle, who like Peter said, God opposes you when you're proud. But if you will humble yourself before him he'll give you grace then he says this in verse 7 of James 4 submit yourselves then to God you see how this is a choice this is a willpower thing you choose to submit yourself to God and then I love this promise it shows you how supernatural and spiritual pride and humility are they're not just about you know, your posture to people, these are supernatural heart issues of pride versus humility. When you submit yourself to God, what happens? Then you're able to resist the devil, and the devil, God says, will flee from you. That's why I said earlier that pride is like a seed that when it's in our heart, a thousand other sins grow up out of it. But if you can extinguish that seed of pride, then you've pushed Satan out of all sorts of other areas of your life. Submitting to God, it's not passive inactivity. Submitting to God is throwing your energy and your strength into obeying him. God wants this for you as a dad, as a mom, as a husband, as a wife. He wants this for you as a student or as a young adult or as a retiree. He says, if you'll submit to what I say to do, do what I say with your finances, with your time, with your passions, with your dreams, when you'll submit to me, Then you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You know, Satan has been at the work of deceiving and enslaving humans for thousands and thousands of years. And so the reality is this, you cannot outsmart the devil. Scripture says that Jesus, when he became human, was made a little lower than the angels. So the angels, which Satan's a fallen one, they're smarter than us. You can't outsmart him in your life. You also can't outmuscle him. Uh, He's spiritually a stronger being than you are. You can only out-humble him. 
Because when you humble yourself, it's like, it's like going underneath an umbrella in a rainstorm. You say, God, I'm going to come underneath your ways and your protection. That's how you defeat sin in your life. I want to give you from the Word of God very quickly four steps into a humility habit. Humility, of course, is the very opposite of pride. And we learned in this series that to get rid of the old, you've got to replace it with the new. Push the pride out. Have so much humility in your life that it just washes out the pride. And here's step number one. Commit to a physical place where you meet God daily, bringing him what most concerns you. Now, I'm saying the physical place part from my own personal experience. You might say, well, John, shouldn't we pray all throughout the day? Don't you pray all throughout the day? The answer is yes, I, I do pray all throughout the day or I try to. But then there are days where I'm very busy or life is very stressful and I didn't pray as much as I wanted. And so for me, it's every night at the side of my bed, I physically kneel. Now, I'm not saying you have to physically kneel, but there are a lot of scriptures about that. There's something for me about kneeling before God and just imagining that I'm in the throne room of heaven and saying, God, you're the creator of galaxies and universes. You're in charge of Russia and China and the world economy, and you can handle all the problems in my life. And the point is this, on a daily basis, bring God what most concerns you. We say, God, I just feel stuck in my marriage. Or I just feel exhausted. Or God, I don't know what to do with this financial decision. Or I don't know what to do about this child of mine, the decisions they're making. Or maybe it's something simpler like, God, do I get a new car right now? Or do I keep driving the old one? Anything on your heart, you bring it to him. What is that doing? That's showing humility. It's assuming, God, you know things I don't know. And here's my question for you today. What is burdening you right now? And have you actually asked God to show you what to do? When we ask God for wisdom and advice and direction, it is a show of display of our humility. And when we go about just assuming, well, I've got enough common sense, I'm pretty smart, I've been at this for a while, that is a display of our pride. What does humility look like? I came across a great non-spiritual example of humility this last week. Uh, let me introduce you to a gentleman named Monish Pabrai. Uh, Pabrai was born in India. He came to the United States for his college education at Clemson. And after his college education, he started a small technology company. But as he looked around the world, he said, I want to become like one of the most successful people in the world. And so he zeroed in on an investor that many of you have heard of named Warren Buffett. Uh, Warren Buffett's in the top five richest people in the world, and he has done all of this by investing in the stock market over decades now. Well, Bob Rye said, I'm going to do something a little different. Most people who set out to invest, they kind of, you know, I'm going to learn from a bunch of different people. Bob Rye said, Warren Buffett has been so successful. I am going to study his life. I'm going to become a disciple of his. And I'm just going to do everything exactly the way that Warren Buffett would do it. And he has been tremendously successful to where now he's worth about $150 million. Just from following the example. But I was reading this interview with him where he says, I shamelessly copy. You know, most people have enough ego that they're like, oh, I didn't copy someone. I came up with it on my own. He's like, no, I just shamelessly copy 
Warren Buffett. And he says, you can't be halfway about it. You have to trust the person you're copying and you have to go all in to copy them. You know, that is what humility looks like in real life. And you can do the exact same thing with God. You can say, God, I really believe what you say about my sexuality. I really believe what you say about my finances. I really believe what you say about my marriage. And I'm not halfway about it. God, I trust that you're smarter than I am. And I don't have to figure it all out. I'll do whatever it takes to hear what you have to say, God. And that's what humility is. That's what it looks like. This guy, Pabrai, is a great picture of this. Because he got every book he could get on Warren Buffett and he read them all. I wonder, have you read God's book? Have you ever even read the whole thing once? Then he did everything he could. Anytime Warren Buffett would release something new, he would read it. Have you prayed to God in a way that says, God, I want to hear from you. Teach me. Show me. And then get this. As Pabrai began investing and his fortune started to multiply, Warren Buffett auctioned a lunch, a three-hour lunch with him, and Pabrai bid the lunch for $650,000. He said, I'll pay $650,000 to be with my mentor I've never met for three hours because I believe it will continue to change my life. I wonder if a non-believer could show that kind of humility in the realm of wealth to learn how to be better what if we actually showed that kind of humility to meeting with God, to learning from God, to saying, God, whatever you say to do in my life, I will shamelessly copy and clone the life of Jesus. Pride is when we insist or just assume that we don't need anyone's help. Humility is when we assume and insist that we need God's help. What if every one of us watching this right now were as serious about getting God's advice as this investor Pabrai is about Warren Buffett's advice? It would change our lives to the same extent and far more than what he has experienced. Step two to develop the habit of humility is to actively listen to God's advice. Step three, take the mentality of a servant at home and at work. Take the mentality of a servant. We're going to see this in the life of Jesus in just a moment. But just choose right now to say, God, I want to be a servant. You've placed me in my family so that I can help them experience you. Would you make me a servant in my home? Would you make me a servant in my workplace? Would you make me a servant in my neighborhood or in my school or in my community? And then fourth, get scheduled to serve God and others consistently. I got to tell you, one of the ways I serve is by teaching the Word of God. And there are weeks where I come in here and I prepare, and there's weeks where it's just a total delight, where it's like, oh, this is awesome, I'm having so much fun, God's teaching me. There's other weeks where it is just good old-fashioned hard work. But it is so good for me that I am scheduled to serve you because it allows me the chance on the days when I, or weeks, when it's like, I don't feel like doing this, but I'm going to choose to do this out of love for God and love for his people, that's when my character grows. I believe those are the times that bring the most delight to God. And in the same way, if you're not scheduled to serve others consistently, then like other things in your life, you'll have the times where it's like, oh, I'm really being a servant, but eventually the pride kind of grows back. 
And so today, you could sign up by texting the word serve to start serving regularly with our kids or with our students or as a greeter. And if you don't know where to serve yet, we'll help you find your place. But there's something about being scheduled to serve others consistently. You know, earlier we looked at pride, the biblical definition of pride, and how it overlaps with arrogance and self-obsession. And we could probably add some other circles on here. All of these are kind of self-important views of reality where we're sort of blocking out God in our assumption. And you should know as we go through this, this is how I wake up every morning. I mean, I'm new creation in Jesus, but I've still got an old sin nature. This is me apart from God's redemptive work in my life. And apart from me having a moment every day where I say, God, I humble myself before you. Out with the old, in with the new. Make me like Jesus today. But here's the beauty. As a believer in Jesus, the moment you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you become a new creation. And every single day, you can very simply pray, God, make me the new person. And what does he do? He does the opposite of these. What's the opposite of arrogance? It's not thinking that you're nothing. It's choosing to be a servant. God doesn't want you waking up thinking, oh, I'm nothing, woe is me, I'm so terrible. That's not humility. In fact, that's a weird form of pride. It's a twisted form of pride because it's also a self-obsession. But when you say, God, give me the heart of Jesus, I want godly thinking, then instead of being arrogant, I can say, I'm a servant of God. So most importantly, I'm serving him. And at my workplace, maybe my boss doesn't see me or appreciate me, but I'm really doing it for God anyway. And in my home, maybe my spouse doesn't tell me thanks as much as I'd like to hear, but I'm really doing it for God. And I know that the people Jesus served, they didn't thank him, and so I'm going to keep serving my family. I'm going to keep serving the people around me. Instead of being self-obsessed, I'm going to be God and others obsessed. And if you're God and others obsessed, you're going to take care of yourself so that you can serve them well, but you're taking care of yourself so you can serve them. It's like the old thing on the airplane of when the oxygen masks drop down. If you're a parent, you put yours on first so that you can then put the oxygen mask on your child. Humility doesn't mean that you don't take good care of yourself and you run yourself into the ground. That would actually kind of reveal that you think the world depends on you. Humility says, I'm going to take good care of myself so that I can be the servant of others and so that I can be obsessed about what is God doing in the world. And how's God at work in the people around me? And of course, the opposite of pride, humility. I wonder right now, would you just ask God, do this kind of transformation in my heart and in my life? And as you pray that, I want to show you the true story of a brother in our church. If you haven't met him yet, you can go out to the lobby and meet him today. This is a guy, if you were to ask me, I've lived in Indiana for four years now, John Who's the most fulfilled person you've met in all your time in Indiana? I would say that it's Jeff Skaggs. And the reason you're going to see that Jeff Skaggs is so fulfilled is this exact transformation of living a life of humility to serve God and others. I want you to see how God transformed him. Go ahead and take a look. Growing up, I mean, church was something that we did every week. We, um, we just went because we went and I, I didn't really get it. So when I was about 15, that was when um, I started getting into 
the world and, and things of the world. As quick as I could, I quit going to church. And um, my wife and I just, um, we, we believed in God, we knew God, but it was really easy to leave when I didn't have my parents making me go every single week. My parents continually ask us to come to church and um, we would say no, we have some sort of excuse. But once we moved to Brownsburg, our, our neighbors at the time, they said, hey, um, come check out Connection Point. And um, we decided to give it a shot and, and let the kids grow up in the church where, where we knew that we wanted them to be. I remember one week, it was probably two months or so after we had started attending Connection Point, um, Pastor Steve gave a sermon about service and um, Shirley and my wife and I looked at each other and we're like maybe we need to serve and we both decided we would serve together and we, we contacted Kid City and we got into um, teaching kindergarten kiddos. During that time I, I started serving in high school and I started serving at Connection Corner as well and um, I, I served out of obligation. I, I served because I felt like I had to. And then, I, I, I mean, God got a hold of me in, in 2017, and um, I, I felt God just like smack me in the back of the head and just said, you were supposed to be here, just wake up. And it was that moment that the walls that I had up just completely crumbled, and like I felt like I could give him everything. I felt like I could give him all of my baggage and that he wanted it. Um, without having all that baggage of, of the, the addictions and the, the anger and the rage. I could, I could get my heart right and, and I could serve people the way that, that I think God wants people to be served. Continuing to serve um, has, has helped me grow a ton. I've met so many amazing people that, that have shown me um, you know, what it looks like to be a Christly father, a godly father, what it looks like to be a godly man, a godly husband. There's, there's just been so many good things that have come from, from serving. I mean, I, it, it kind of forces me to continue a strong relationship with God too, because when I, when I come in, I have to tap into that power in order to be able to, to even serve at all. I served in the beginning under, under my own power, and now I serve knowing that Rather than obligation serving people, I was serving people because I love people and, and I want them to, to be known the way that I'm known by God. And um, I always strive to get my high schoolers to, to experience God and to know what God is all about and to be able to, to kind of hear God before they graduate. So that way they have that relationship and they have that love that I have and that joy and, and they understand where I'm coming from. So hopefully um, with that relationship, they won't want to leave in the same way that, that I did. I think that's one of the biggest things for serving is, is that I just want to, I want to get people to um, see God the way that, that I do. So I, I think that's huge in, in our relationship with God. I love that story. Jeff is such a humble guy. You'd have no idea just watching that, the dozens of ways that he serves around here. And I love the true humility of his journey. You might have caught that at the beginning, uh, there were some kind of bad habit strongholds in his life. And he started serving. He didn't really like feel like he wanted to. He just knew he should. He was really doing it because it was the right thing to do. And it wasn't particularly joyful or fun. But where he maybe doesn't give himself enough credit is he kept doing it even when it didn't feel fantastic. 
And that is what humility is. It's doing the right thing as unto God and for the benefit of others, whether we feel like it or not. And as Jeff continued to do the right thing as a choice of his will, submitting to God, God started to uproot some of that pride, which as the pride went out the window, some of those old habits and patterns of life went with them. That's why I'm suggesting to you, I believe pride is the most important of all these habits because so many of the others grow out of it. And Jeff is now a transformed person. God has done the work in him. But Jeff put himself in the position for God to work by humbling himself, becoming a servant of all as unto the Lord. You could put it this way, the bullseye of fulfillment is finding and using your gifts for God and others. The bullseye of fulfillment is when you say, God, I was created to serve you and to serve your purpose and all the people I will meet in my life. And I believe, God, that you've given me different gifts and different functions. And Lord, I'm just going to serve. Whether it's with a towel washing people's feet, whether it's greeting at the front door, whether it's leading a small group or operating a camera, operating a switchboard, being a, a mentor, being a kid city volunteer, being a small group leader for teens, whatever it is, Lord, I want to serve my function. And just like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve, I'm going to live life that way. Guess what? That is the bullseye of fulfillment right there. I wonder for you, I want to skip ahead and ask you this, what has been your motivation lately? I mean, if you think of this almost as a physical slider that you could move back and forth, think back on this last week, think back on the last 24 hours, why did you get out of bed? Why is it that you're you know, doing the things you're doing today? Is it for others and for God's work in their life or is it just for yourself? Sometimes we can kind of be doing things for others, but we're doing it for their approval, and so they'll like us, so that's actually for self. And I just want to encourage you right now, would you just join me in just saying, God, I just want to move this slider. You know, maybe we don't get it all the way over, but God, my heart is that it's all the way over, and I just pray, God, make me more and more like Jesus. In this book, Creatures, of habit. This is a, our final week that we'll have it in the lobby and you can text the word habit. I just want to read you three paragraphs because the chapter on pride has so much more material than I've shared with you. And I love the direct voice that God gave to our brother Steve Poe who pastors another church in this area. And here's what he wrote. Friends, while you may not be able to completely change your family or your church or your marriage... He talks about, you know, when we think about pride, we think about all the people around us who have a pride problem. He says, we might not be able to change all them. You can get rid of a self-centered pride in your own life. You can. And once you've done that, I think you will be surprised at the impact your life will have on the people around you. He says, I challenge you to be intentional about having a God-first mindset. Some might argue that this is not easy, and I would say they are right. It's hard to put the needs of others before your own. It's hard to put God's desires before your own. But once you completely submit to God, emptying yourself, kicking out your ego, then there will be room for God to breathe his Holy Spirit upon you, to fill you with his love, 
then you will come to realize and understand what being a disciple of Christ is really all about. Earlier, I asked you to identify that one relationship in your life that's the most straight. And with that identified, I just want to uh, invite the Spirit of God to speak to you through his word. You're a follower of Jesus. What does he say to you? He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You know, I just wonder, what would that relationship look like? If you were to live this out. The word of God continues. It says not looking to your own interests. But each of you should look instead to the interest of others. Can you imagine what our community would look like? What our city would look like? What our world would look like? If we were to live this way. Then it says in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, here's what it looks like to be like Jesus, who being in very nature God, in other words, he's up here, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. In other words, he gave up some of his own rights. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And look at this, here's the action. He humbled himself in obedience to God. There it is, the antidote to pride, the anti-venom to pride, the habit for us to pursue. Jesus was the only one who could give the gift of salvation, the gift of being perfect that we don't have, the gift of the forgiveness of our sins, and he gave it by dying on the cross. Now, we don't have to die on a physical cross, but as we follow him, we die to ourselves daily, laying down whatever gifts we've been given to humble ourselves in obedience to God so he can do his work in us and then through us to the world around us. Would you just join me today in saying, God, I want to humble myself before you. Would you cultivate in me a habit of humility? Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I know that there are very real relationships represented in each of our lives, very real patterns. God, we can't change these things or fix them in our own strength. But Jesus, we believe in you. We believe that you're almighty God. We believe that you had the power to forgive our sins. You had the power to defeat death. You have the power to overcome evil. And Lord, you have the power to uproot the habit of pride in our lives. You have the power to replant the habit of humility in our lives. So Lord, we just ask that over each of us as individuals. We pray that over our families over our children, over our marriages. We pray that over our entire congregation, us as a Connection Point church family. Would you make us a people who are more and more like Jesus, who live out the habit of humility? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.